0: There's never been a better time to be a direct to consumer brand. Join us as we uncover the strategies and scaling secrets of the world's most disruptive brands and agencies. This is Direct to Consumer by Pilot House. Hello and welcome to Hot Seat, the show where we interview amazing e-commerce brands to uncover the secrets of their success and provide insights into scaling their direct consumer marketing efforts. Today is a big one for me. About three years ago, I walked into a boutique and uh, came across my first pair of Doer performance denim. Uh, after putting them on, I realized that I was probably going to be a Doer customer forever. The fabric, the fit, the feel of these pants is like no other, honestly. You got to grab a pair. Uh, so, when I read a recent article about Doer's unique on demand approach to pivoting from retail to direct to consumer e commerce, I pounced on the opportunity to have them on Hot Seat, reached right out, they got right back to me. Uh, so, I'm Eric Dick, and along with Pilot House CEO Dave Steele, we're thrilled to have fashion industry legend and Doer founder Gary Lennett as well as director of e-commerce, Calvin Roex,
1: on the hot seat. Welcome, how are you guys doing? We're good considering everything, we're doing pretty good.
2: Yeah, I, <laughs> juggling, I, juggling a million things, but, but it's, all, it's all good right now.
0: Yeah, that's my thing, juggling a million things and then also trying to educate my six-year-old. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> I can only imagine, I can only uh, imagine.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's an absolute fun. So you guys are, we're in Victoria, you guys are on the mainland in Vancouver. Uh, which is really cool, gary why don 't you tell a little bit a, a little bit about your background and how doer
1: came to be okay well because um, i 'm an old guy, so yeah, I, my background it <laughs> goes back quite far, but I, you know the the sound bites are essentially that I was in the fashion business for almost thirty four years before I started doer uh, doer is a relatively new venture for me, and um, it really came out of a uh, effort for for me to leave the fashion business because I started, I told my wife and my par- my former partners, I was sick and tired of doing what I was doing before. I'd sort of gone through four or five, six cycles of selling mostly denim. It I had lost my passion for it. I was on, you know, again, selling, you know, oh, aren't I excited we got destructed jeans again for the fifth time in my career, right? And I didn't really care too much. And that comes through when you're trying to, if you don't, if you're not passionate in this business, then you should get out of the business. And I've always said that. So I told them that I was going to um, leave the business. Um, I started downsizing my lifestyle. I gave up my cars and wanted to get healthier. And um, I was riding my bike everywhere. And I noticed that if I was riding my bike and I had an important meeting to go to, I couldn't find anything in the marketplace that I would buy. Um, and. Because I, coming from a fashion perspective, I'm not going to buy something that's got a, you know, it's say uh, synthetic rich and has a a sheen to it. I'm not going to put a sport jacket over that or try to dress it up with other shoes. Um, And being the serial entrepreneur I am, I saw sort of this market opportunity. I said, okay, well, I'm going to, uh, you know, and at the time it was, I thought maybe it would like be a little retirement gig, you know, I'd open up a little store. And do a little bit of e-commerce a little bit of wholesale and um, what I found was that I just sort of stumbled on something that was uh, a little bit before its time what but was much much larger and that was really the need for uh, what I call um, lifestyle apparel That's not um, so what we did is we took uh, in our industry the term athleisure was coined a number of year- years ago primarily by Lululemon Nike and Adidas and a whole bunch of others uh, sort of dove into it, but i athleisure is apre gym and what 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 I stumbled into was this category of apparel that 's not apre gym, but taking real clothes and putting technical into them and um, that 's how it started uh, again, very small company. there was only three of us, and we've been um, growing uh, doubling in size every year since we started six years ago and uh, now. Have, uh, well we have, as you alluded to, with our new um, Next program is our fourth channel, but we sell wholesale, e-com, we have our own retail stores, and uh, we sell um, this, uh, this Next program, which is essentially a pre-sale program that we just launched today. So it's good timing.
0: That is great timing.
1: How big is the team now? Uh, we're, approximately, um, we're approximately 25 people. Inside here in Vancouver. And then of course we have sales agents and distributors around the world. Totally. That's,
0: that's our size as well. We're, we're, we're right, right around there and growing as well. Uh, well that's a really interesting story. Let's go right into this e-commerce pivot. Like I came across this article on retail insider that, you know, we're constantly interviewing brands who are in the, in the middle of this pivot basically recognizing that direct to consumer, uh, is, is not only a growth channel, but it, but you know, it's the only channel right now. Um, and and I think the brands that have the good fundamentals, have their their you know supply chains figured out, have a great product market fit. They're mm-hmm. in a great position to benefit by this pivot. So can you talk a little bit about like about your uh, uh, approach specifically this next approach, this on demand approach versus a more traditional e commerce approach?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been talking a lot about next over the last week and doing a lot of interviews and and and. I I can't say that I hadn't been thinking about it for a long time. I'm not going to tell you that sort of COVID struck nine weeks ago and I just came up with this idea or that we just came up with this idea. This is something that I've wanted to do probably for five or six years and really was built into the Genesis behind this company. A lot of the brand values really align with what next is doing. And in fact, we started this company when I started it five or six years ago and I told you that story about me riding my bike, we started with, uh, with, uh, for crowdfunding programs. So, every time we launched a new product, we did it through Kickstarter. And it was through that experience that I started to realize just how, or start to confirm just how inefficient what we traditionally have done in this marketplace is. And that is where we go out, we design a line, we go and build speculative inventory, we bring it into our stores or into other people's stores. Then we put a lot of money into marketing. And then, you know, if your batting average is 70% is really good in our industry, right? You're trying to anticipate what people want. Now we're not really trend driven. So we weren't, our batting average was better than 70% because we're pretty core basic line. As I say, I moved away from sort of that trend driven fashion business. It was more about uh, solving solutions and giving people core basics. But in any event, the model um, of not trying to drive or create demand through marketing, but trying to gauge demand and then meeting that demand just made so much sense to me. And as I started to hire young people like uh, Calvin, who educated me on e-commerce, I started to understand that we can even see what people are searching for. Like, why are we, you know, like, we know what they're looking for. I I remember the first time someone told me someone was looking at one of the Biggest searches in genes was for rock star genes, right? You know, like it, you can get pretty finite on what people are looking for. So why am I going to look at trend reports, which are global and uh, and and mostly inaccurate? Um, and 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 again, the wastage that comes with this is just incredible. So I, I just, you know, I know this is a bit long winded, but I just wanted one of the the things that has really s- stuck with me for the last. Uh, well, since inception, this company is is a singular fact. And that is that, well, it's two singular facts. 67 pounds per year of clothing goes into landfills. 67 pounds per year per person in North America goes into landfills, which is a a mind-boggling amount of waste. Now, this is mostly because of fast fashion and the race to the bottom with prices and stuff, and people just buy clothing and throw it out. You know, and, and the second part, though, is more on the B2B side. And this is, this is a, probably a little known fact, is that the singular cost in our industry. So you take all along the chain, you take the, that, the person picking the cotton, right, in the fields. You say, okay, that costs so much. It costs so much to make that into yarn. It costs so much to make it into fabric. It costs so much to sew it. It costs so much to transport, transport to North America. It costs so much to retail it and stuff. The singular biggest cost along that whole line is the markdown right is having the wrong inventory in the wrong place right yeah There's nothing larger so most retailers they might start at 60% margin but by the time they mark it down it's at their their, their margin is down to 40 or 35% huge dollars right costs there and so going back to why why is this all necessary we have the technology. We can figure out what people want. We put up samples. They come in. They vote with their credit cards. And we make what they want. And we, yeah. and we deliver it fast. So that, that's, that's what Next is about. That's very cool. So even just, just one step back
0: on it, it. Literally, I was looking at it today. Uh, it's literally, it's Kickstarter for gene specific, for styles
1: uh, specifically. When you commit to it, how much do you put down? So, so essentially, you're, you're buying the product. So you, you'll say, okay, I like that pair of shorts. I'm going to buy that. It costs me, you know, $80. You get it at a discounted price, but you're not going to get it delivered tomorrow. You're going to get it delivered. We have a quick response manufacturing back end. And so you'll get it delivered within two to four weeks after the end of the, what we're calling the project. So, or the campaign. So, um, you know, you'll get it approximately five or six. So you have to wait a little bit longer you get a better price because we pass on the savings. All that all that efficiency that I talked about, our inefficiency with the old way, we, we're we now giving you a, a better price on the product that you would have paid because it is more efficient for us. And uh, really the cost to you is you have to wait a little bit longer. About how long? It, well, as I say, right now we're running three-week campaigns. So if you bought today, it's the first day today. Um, and we'll deliver it... Th- uh, between two and four weeks after the end of the campaign. So that you're waiting, if you bought today, you're you're basically going to wait five to six weeks, something okay. like
2: that. And Eric, I'd say the other, Yeah, sorry, go ahead.
1: No, no Kyle, after you.
2: No, I was just saying, and I think, you know, we obviously debated this idea between in-house versus Kickstarter model again, and sort of going back and forth. And I think for us, You know, Kickstarter was such a big platform for us to get going and and now that we have the audience and that sort of base there, you know, the idea was like, well, we can't own the customer in Kickstarter necessarily, you know, as soon as they're done that, that project or backing us, we sort of lose that, that arm of communication with them, right? And so the idea of you know controlling the whole process from start to finish in-house, plus owning that customer relationship from start to finish, was one of that also the main reasons that we were like, okay, hey, let's let's just build this in-house and, and have that model versus sort of this outsourced Kickstarter model.
1: Interesting,
3: very cool. And I was gonna I was gonna add, you know, my understanding of the Kickstarter model is that you get to test these concepts, right? So with your new, uh, you know, your, your next project, could you take me through? how how do you guys look at the concept development? Is that a big, big part of the business now where you're able to actually test out many more concepts than you would have in a traditional model? And, and how have you found that? Because I know a lot of marketers we work with or brands we work with are a little bit slower in that side of the business because it's yeah. expensive to test concepts generally.
1: Yeah. Well, for sure. And I mean, again, it's the product, it's going to, it allows us to be, um, obviously from a product development for us to develop. So let me, let me back up. We take i I'm not trend driven. We're not trend driven. So we're, we're about problem solution, right? That's how we develop product, right? I, the world doesn't need more clothing for, you know, like for no reason, right? They don't need just another shade of blue of j- blue jeans, right? So we right. we're developing through a product problem solution right from the product development. But now all we have to do is develop a sample, a prototype, and we put it up. So it really frees us to develop way more ideas and let the marketplace tell us what, you know, what resonates and what doesn't. Um, so, frankly, a lot of what we do, especially in the beginning and even to this day, is, is really just what we want to wear. Like, what, where are the gaps? And like, as I said, like, I wanted to find a pair of jeans that had enough stretch in it and technical aspects that I could ride my bike anywhere but still look good enough for me to go into a meeting. I couldn't find that in the marketplace. Yeah and,
2: Sorry, and, and Dave I'd say like the other piece where the good tension always happens is like on the product concept side generally we've got these like great all-day meetings deciding sort of what concepts or product we're going to develop and it's sort of this both data informed and then sort of this gut sort of feel that I think balances out really, really well. So, you know, we'll come to the table and say, look, we're, we're seeing a ton of trend in, in requests around size 40 waist in the silhouette or, you know, here's the trend, like tons of people right now, like all we're getting is this idea of how do we create more shorts because our, our category is pretty thin in, in that area. And so our team comes with the the data piece and then the design and Gary have have this like, pre-informed decision based on, you know, what they're seeing in the market and, and a bit of that gut feel. And that's sort of where you find that balance on some of that product concept development.
1: I, I will I will say too, when you talk about the expense of, of, of testing product, you know, I've always, um, you know, for many years I've been fascinated what the tech companies do when they develop minimally viable, especially in the gaming industry. And they develop these minim, minimally viable, um, minimally viable product and, and go out with it. You know, I've always wanted to do that because it is very expensive to when we're doing one prototype, we don't have to perfect it. We can figure out if the marketplace really wants the product and then we can go and do all the um, the minutia that that it takes to perfect the product. So, um, yeah, it's just a very efficient way of doing things.
3: Sorry to interrupt, Gary Calvin. You spoke about internalizing that process. Is there a platform you guys are using? Because I do know off the top of my head, I got a few other brands who are, you know, toying with this idea. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice in terms of platform usage, how to set that up, how to how to make it happen?
2: You know, before COVID, that kind of was our store piece as well. Like the stores were meant for these like limited run, come in, try it. We'd sort of get feedback before sort of turning these mass quantities of product in and they would, they sort of had a feedback form that they would capture some of that data in. And that was really where we got the majority of it on the, on the e-comm side. I mean, we're, we're just running it against like, you know, when we receive customer service tickets, we've tried opening even right now on the site, you know, for do our next comments section. So people can start providing a bit more feedback um but outside of that like i said we haven't pivoted too much in that side yet retail was really sort of meant to be that like let's let's run 20 products you know 20 sorry units of a specific product get feedback in retail and then decide whether we want to go e-com wholesale and sort of go bigger across it um but yeah i don't know if that answered your question necessarily in terms of feedback but i would say like yeah just just figure out how you, and it can be simple. Like, again, we, we have product feedback forms that we send to customers, VIP customers on a regular basis and sort of just capture data that way. Um, and, and and I think they feel engaged too, obviously during the
3: process. Right. Very cool. Well, yeah. We'll, we'll stay in touch with that also as, as I think a number of brands are moving this way and mm-hmm. uh, you know, we all got to work together and, and prove out the model. Cause I think totally. we be proven out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see. I think, you know, obviously with, with e-commerce a, a big a. Ap- appeal for some people is the speed of it. Is that the, the fact that you can get it, you know, within a week. Um, so it's going to be interesting to model. Like I'm, I'm wondering like with your e-commerce efforts, what are you seeing right now? Like which of your, you know, we're, we're all about those, the, the frontline ads, which of, of those e-commerce initiatives are like, cause people can still buy the, through the traditional means on the site, right? You could still just rock up and buy a pair of jeans and have it in a week. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. What are you seeing in terms of like ac- activity right now? I guess it's early. It's day one.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, I think what we're excited to see is what comes of it and, and sort of where we're best, you know, so we didn't we didn't just turn on ads for just next and we stopped, you know, all the other programs we're running. Like you said, sort of this is, we're viewing this as like a new arm of the business. And, um, you know, as of today, it's been huge today just because it's we've sort of put in, you know, 110% on the launch. Uh, but I am excited to see like sort of what that spillover is. And I think... You know, when we were deciding what budget to put towards, um, you know, Next by Doer or, you know, our current programs, I think we both felt like it'll be interesting to see because I think there'll be spillover across the different initiatives. Right. Because, again, it is hosted all in that Doer ecosystem where it's not you're sending someone a Kickstarter and then hoping they find about your brand on, on search or, you know, paid social again. Um, but, yeah, it, it is going to be an interesting I think model for the next little bit here. And we're excited to see sort of where to put our ad spend and dollars against what programs are driving that that bulk of that business. And like, you know, it goes all the way down to the cart level. Are we upselling when you come to buy presale and you're like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm fine to wait, you know, a month to get this product, but actually right now I need that pair of jeans that you guys currently have on your site. So I'm just going to buy that right now. And so you sort of get two different shipments of your product but you sort of balance it out with like, Hey, you know, I'll pay full price for the pair of jeans. I now, and I'm willing to wait, you know, for four weeks to get this other pair at this, you know, a discounted price.
0: And the whole thing with kicks with the Kickstarter model is it's like a different purchasing experience. You're not, you're actually like, you're kind of becoming part of something in a way it's like you're, Mm -hmm. you're an early investor. You're, you know, you're, you're, and you're getting your investment in in the, in the shape of a discount, but really you're sort of, you feel like you're maybe more part of something. And so that, you know, you are going to be more willing to wait for in in that Mm -hmm. situation. So it would be mm-hmm. interesting to see what your customer LTV ends up looking like from the people that buy through this method totally. versus the others.
2: Yeah. And I think what I think we're, we're so strong at, and, and I, you know, Eric, I'm kind of similar to you. And I found, I found out about Doer sort of three years ago when I was like, we were a bunch of groomsmen were getting ready to go to a wedding. And we were like, man, we just want comfortable pants that so we can dance in, look formal um, and sort of discovered the brand. And I Eat think a lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Let them stretch out with you. Um, and I and I think our repeat business is probably one of the strongest pieces that I've come across. Like our repeat business and our loyal customers are so strong. So I think, you know, right now what we're doubling down on is like really our VIP loyal customers. Like we didn't go heavy on the acquisition side of digital marketing for this program right now. You know, we're sort of dabbling in it a little bit on, on the paid social side, but really it's like the, the bulk of the focus and budget is going towards like remarketing lower funnel, you know, who's, who's our most loyal guys and customers. Cause I think those are the people that are like, Hey, I own five pairs of pants. I, I know I could buy from you guys right now, but I'm willing to wait four weeks cause I'm getting a great deal. And I'm, I'm you know, whether I buy now or four weeks, I was going to do that anyway. So yeah, it'll, awesome. but it'll be interesting to see.
0: Yeah, well, we'll definitely stay in touch because uh, I'm keen to see what the experiment looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it, just in terms of your of your e-commerce uh, outbound efforts, you're saying that you're sort of in your infancy, even in the old program, when it comes to actually like direct-to-consumer sort of direct response ads? Uh, like No, we, yeah. You've been doing that for a yes. while? Yeah, we've been doing that for a while.
2: Um, I mean, even when, Gary, I wasn't here for the Kickstarter piece, but they, you guys were running paid ads and that was your main sort of, Brand awareness piece. Um, and so, yeah, for us right now, uh, to give you a context, we were actually with an agency up until last month. Um, and we'd always sort of looked at potentially bringing it back in house. And so now we've sort of got someone in house managing all our paid and, and performance marketing. Uh, but we've sort of been doing that now. Pretty, pretty like the bulk of our spend and marketing budget is on uh, paid search, paid social. And and now we're sort of dabbling in, you know, obviously we've still got like our affiliate program, but really I'd say actually one of our biggest switches has been like, how can we do as much rev share as possible? Um, so, you know, influencers, we're not paying you up front. We're doing a rev share model. Um, any sort of publications or affiliates, it's sort of all, all rev share based, which during this period has obviously been like a big win for us because it's, it's not cash out the door. It's like we only pay you out when we're sort of getting cash in, right?
0: Smart. Yeah. We, you know, we, we run influencers with a lot of our brands. I've just knocked off. This is our, my third interview in two days and everyone is going crazy with uh, influencer and you either call it dark posts or whitelisting mm-hmm. where you actually get the influencer to give you access to their account and you actually run budget so that you can not just mm-hmm. have the hit of their initial thing, uh, their initial post, but you can actually run very controlled frequency capped campaigns totally. to their audiences. Yeah. Um, and so if you're I've not actually, doing that, I've, I would recommend No, we're not,
2: we're not doing that, but it's funny. I've actually always wanted to do that with our wholesale clients, um, which has been, you know, a little bit tougher, but the idea of like, you know, what makes us also great is we've got three different arms, right? You know, we got wholesale retail and then the e side. And I've always wanted to say like, you know, we work with some great retailers. We'll actually give you a thousand dollars and let us sort of get backend access to your ad account as like an advertiser, you know, you've just brought doer into the store. So it it seems like a win-win, right? Like you're promoting, they're getting to promote their mom and pop store or their bigger brand and we're giving them and they're promoting the doer space. So yeah, it's, 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 it's an interesting, and especially as we head down into the States, you know, I think our brand awareness is so strong in Canada. And so the States has obviously been a bit of a tougher market for us to, to crack and, um, most people in the States do hear about us through third-party retailers. Um, and so again, if, if that's what we're seeing and in in, it's like, how can I leverage their audiences to, you know, come get exclusive product to do that they couldn't buy at their local retailer.
0: It's, it's such a cool story. We just, we talked with Vessi earlier on as well, and, and they're approaching, you know, nine figures in, in sales mm-hmm. kind of thing. And they're still, and that's mostly in Canada. It's, it's crazy. You know, we work yeah. with so many clients whose main focus is the U S and, uh, And so it's amazing to hear that there's still so much scale potential within Canada. And then, and then once you do crack that nut, it's, you know, really the sky's the limit. Totally. Yeah, no, U
2: S is definitely, it's funny. It's like, we've, we're running against so many different variables that I think we're like, yeah, one example is like they're the exact same site but conversion rate in Canada is just way higher than it is in the States you know and so then we're like is it is it a more price sensitive market so we've run different A-B tests across different types of discounts to see you know is that going to move the needle um and on the paid side what's tough is it's just your dollar doesn't go as far there as it does in, in Canada and you're you're sort of we've gone through through two different types of strategies one which was like how do we, you know, potentially just target certain geo or cities in the states like Seattle, you know, California, any New York, and so we saw, you know, that's where the majority of our ecom purchases are. And so at one point we said, let's take our entire acquisition spend and just focus on Seattle, New York, and LA and Denver, I think it was, um, and let's see if like we can move the needle more than sort of doing this broad-based approach across all of the states. Um, And so even though we were able to move the needle in those cities, it didn't make up for the loss that we did when we were doing a broad approach. Um, Because I think it just wasn't letting Facebook's algorithm work where it was finding that low hanging fruit across, you know, all different parts of the state. So we're now back into a bit more of that broader funnel, sort of not geo-targeted ad spend. But yeah, States States is an interesting one.
0: Yeah. What, so what, before COVID, what was your split in terms of retail versus online sales?
2: Do you want me all right, go ahead, go
1: Yeah, I mean, we were, um, so again, we have three channels, but in our direct to consumer arena, we were probably 60% online and 40% retail. And then we have a wholesale division that's a whole different, uh, which is probably about 50%. It was 50% of our sales.
0: Mm-hmm. Nice. And then what are your predictions for, for retail going forward? I guess no one really has any true predictions about what retail is going to shape up like, but like, what are, what are your hopes? What are your sort of like, you know, I guess hopes is the best way to put it, but where where do you think retail is going to net out over the next year? Like over this year?
1: Um, you know, I have a, first of all, we, when you say retail, like our wholesale business where we're selling to other retailers i don't know i mean this is unprecedented and i I don't think anybody knows i think i'd be lying to say i know Um, but i will tell you that in terms of our own um, brand stores we're we have a very aggressive strategy and we we will move into the united states um we're opening our third store in calgary in july which was signed before this crisis and uh, we are scheduled to open our fourth store in um, uh, we're looking at leases in either Seattle, LA or Denver in September, October. Cool. And then, and then, and then roll out more stores over the next six months. So we see there being opportunity there for a brand like ours. Um, and uh, we'll go at it quite aggressively. That's cool. We did right. also just launch our like,
2: in, in, we did also just launch like personal shopping in-store appointments. Um, that was that was Monday for anyone in Vancouver. And then, uh, you know, we were just talking through today cause I think Toronto is slowly uh, restarting up as well. So, and yeah, with, you know, it's interesting within the first, like this week we were almost fully booked up on all our appointments and I was pretty surprised by that, to be honest, just cause I, you know, it was like, mm. you know, we're in Gastown; It's not a super heavy walk by traffic unless the restaurants and everything else is going, but surprisingly lots of people were sort of itching to get back back in there. So. It will be interesting. I, I totally hear you.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Dave. I wanted, you know, just to put you on the hot seat for a second here. Like, if you were, uh, you know, you've done a lot of these audits. You've, you've you've looked at a lot of brands' creatives. You've, you know, with Pilot House, we've scaled uh, a lot, some brands really heavily. Like, w- what sort of feedback would you have about uh, either the, the 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 customer experience or the ad experience or, or just the, the ways that you could see doer scaling over the next six months direct to consumer e commerce?
3: Yeah, good question. Well, I did just open up. Well, I've been looking at it for a few days now, but the the Facebook ad library. And one thing I noticed that I wanted to shout out as you know, I think a, a something you've done really well is you've put the product in use in your creative, right? So I'm looking at one where there's a guy with his his leg up on the on the back of his truck, and like that is just that that stance. will can can connect to is like, oh man, when you're wearing the wrong pants, you actually can't perform that action, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wanted to ask you guys, and I can see there's more um, active shots, you know, photographer really, you know, bent down low to get that get that perfect angle. And I just wanted to get in your head in terms of, you know, your creative team and, and sort of their, their approach to doing that uh, and, and kind of how you go about making more of that creative.
2: Yeah, I think for us, like we've run so many different variations of creative over the past like two years that I've been here. And, and one of those like interesting trends that we a what we were trying to figure out this year was like this urban creative versus this like outdoor creative. Um, and so urban being like, you know, you're in the city, you're biking, and then sort of this outdoor creative where, you know, I'm looking at one right now. He's he's on that, on that rock taking a photo or he's outside lifting, you know, a pair of, with his jeans with plywood to you know go build something and it's funny that outdoor aspirational creative like way outperforms the urban um creative even though I think more people are obviously leveraging it in the urban setting um but what I think the outdoor space does show is like not only do the shorts look good and you can go on a hike and do all these you know movements within it that means like it naturally translates to your urban lifestyle of getting on and off the bike. And so that's kind of been our thought process around, like, how do we take these like everyday simple movements? Um, and like, yeah, instead of you ever feeling like you're restricted from doing something, these pants like offer that ability where you're like, I'm never going to have to worry about like, yeah, reaching my leg over the bike and hopping on going to another meeting. Cause if the guy in the creative is, you know, building something stretching up onto the the top of his truck, like then clearly I can, you know, get on a bike and and ride for, you know, 10 minutes to my next meeting.
3: Totally. And I mean, that's what we've seen as being that necessary evolution on the creative side to really go, go broad and Mm -hmm. and, and scale us wide is, especially now with all the AI and the machine learning, we as marketers just input that creative that speaks to those either pain points or those, a new type of person someone wants yeah. to be. And then Facebook basically just goes and, and finds out, Hey, this person engages, this person doesn't, this mm-hmm. person engages, this person doesn't. And over time you start to find those pockets where those certain, uh, lifestyle shots really, really connect. So, yeah, I mean, that would be, you know, back to your point, Eric, that would certainly be my, uh, recommendation in terms of direction is just keep mining for that next, that yeah. next emotional trigger that you, you kind of dick you, you discover. And I think, Earlier, you talked about influencers. So I think a lot of influencers are good at, you know, posing in those, like that's kind of where their, their minds are at. Like they are good at uncovering those, those lifestyle-based solutions. Uh, So just going wide with them as well. And, you know, out of every 10, maybe one or two of them might find that next pose that just kind of says it it visually very quickly. You don't have to use words even.
2: Yeah, no, that's a great call. Um, yeah. And I think we are trying to build out this, like, you know, we're actually building out this like ambassador program, which is ideally, it's a little less influencer in the sense of like, how do we create like more of a relationship than sort of just sending, you know, a, a one-off product and and, and whatnot. But um, yeah, and, and I hear, you. Yeah, I mean, I think what's what's been challenging for us during this period is like, refreshing the creative, right? And, and, and getting, new creative in the in the market we've sort of had to either reuse creative that we've run previously which you know I think sometimes I'm so close to it that I'm like oh I feel like everyone's probably seen that ad and then it's like oh it's probably like the smallest piece of the pie that's like come across like our shorts ads that we ran last week you know or last year Um, and then there was also that like sensitivity analysis of like I'm like are people really going to take the fact that there's two guys hanging up together and being like, they're not social distancing. But then I do see the comments on the ads being like, you guys should take this down. It's not social distancing. And I'm like, yeah, well, I mean, hopefully you're able to like but the separate. From <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah
0: exactly.
2: My other favorite
0: part. <laughs> yeah. So, funny. but yeah, yeah think- and,
2: and that's where, I think that's where we're trying to use influencers right now is like getting that creative and content.
0: Yeah. And I think one, and especially if you can get those, those dark posts or that white listing, the thing that we see again and again is that the newsfeed is such a competitive space. And that if you see an ad more than once, you're blind to it. So having Mm -hmm. being able to come at people from different angles and whether that's uh, the interpretation of an influencer you may or may not like, or just seeing the same products in different lights from different perspectives, uh, maybe solving the same issue, same benefits, even same pose, but just seeing those, those different reflections of, uh, of people's opinions on the product, I think, Totally. Can really help unlock uh, Roas yeah. from, uh, from your ads. What, yeah,
2: totally. How do you pronounce and your last
0: name, by the way? As soon as I saw Rox, I thought Roas. <laughs> it's
2: close, yeah. It's Rux. Yeah, it's Rux. 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 Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Nice. I want to. So here, here's a question I like to ask in in some of the podcasts. If you just had a fifty thousand dollar grant gifted to you, where would you put that into the business right now to see the biggest return, Gary? What do you think about that?
1: Well, I think it. it Sorry, sorry. Busy, popular guy. You know, <laughs> for some reason it won't shut down. Um, the uh, I think for me, uh, what comes up for me is just going back to Calvin's comments about you know that we get this loyalty. I mean, we know people love our product. Um, we know that once we get them in our product, that we get repeat purchases. Our lifetime value is very strong. So for me, it's just about reach. So I'd I'd put into digital advertising, and you know that that just it's just a matter of getting people into our pants. And and when you have that mindset,
0: like that allows you, you know, he who pays the most for a customer wins. So if 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 you could, if if your model, if you know that your average consumer is going to be a a lifetime wearer, which is like that, just allows you to be more aggressive on the acquisition front uh, in order to acquire those users in the beginning. You combine that with a yeah, a multi a multifaceted uh, approach. I think you. I think you have all the potential to be just massively scaling this thing over the next little while. It's really exciting business.
2: Yeah, it's good. Yeah, no, and I, and I hear you. And, and then I think the the piece like is I'd l- thank you for saying fifty k in digital advertising. I'll take that any day, Gary. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think it's it's also this other interesting piece of like not only like fifty k and broadly, you know, putting it into Facebook ads or Google ads or whatever it may be. But and I know it's somewhat cliche or a little bit like jargon to say you know this but like what we're really trying to do now is like what how do we start building out a basic attribution model of like really what's working and what's not right so you know if if really like we got to get email signups because once someone signs up to our emails and they go through our email flow that that converts them at a much quicker pace than seeing 10 facebook ads and a google search ad or whatever it may be you know and so i think right now we're getting up to that point of like we've got budget and now it's like, how do we be a bit more efficient with it? Because now we can start seeing like where people are coming in and trying to create some level of attribution model. Um, but it's funny because uh, you know, I've been to enough conferences and, and everyone says like attribution, attribution. And then you, you sort of <laughs> dig down and you're like, Oh, okay. You're just running a survey. Sweet. Yeah. Same
0: with us. <laughs> I just, I, what was the quote from our last cast? It was a guy who had a two 30 AM call with a major like CMO of Adidas in Germany. Yeah. And, uh, and the one we asked him what question he asked him and he asked him like, who is doing attribution properly? And the answer was nobody, you know, (laughs) nobody (laughs) in the industry is really doing attribution properly. You know, it's something that we run up against multiple times with our clients where different agencies are taking different credit for different things. And, and, and as the brand, I think it's, yeah, it's obviously in your best interest to, to, uh, to figure that out so you can find those channels that are, that are driving it. So yeah, exactly. Good on you. Yeah,
2: you look at you look at like the back end of Facebook, and it's like, yeah, your ROAs is like seven to one right now, and you're like, oh man, let's pump more money into Facebook. And then you look in Google Analytics, and it's like, everything is coming through paid search, and you're like, okay, yeah. <laughs> sweet.
0: <laughs> Double paying. So, so which are your main platforms right now? You got Facebook ads going, Instagram, Google. You yeah. Talk yet.
2: We're not on TikTok yet. No, I haven't haven't made that leap over quite yet. I think no, resource-based we'd yeah. be pretty uh, <laughs> stretched thin on, on that side. Um and then yeah, like I said, I mean the affiliate side has is, is been pretty big for us during this period. So what does that uh, look like
0: for you guys? Is that through like retail me not and things like that?
2: Yeah, I mean we're trying to get off those like coupon-based sites. Um, but we've sort of got again that individual who's come on and handling all our performance marketing. Side. So, we're doing a ton of affiliate, you know, through email sponsorship with Dig or Need to Know or Daily Punt, especially like most of the affiliate stuff is working in the States. So, that's sort of where, again, we're seeing a, a pretty big return on investment. Um, and, you know, so that's, we're using a back end platform called Avant Link. And so, as people just come through there, we just pay out commission. It's all rev share based deals. So, um, and again, it, it seems to be really picking up steam in the States. Um, just as like, you've got these like loyal readers on email and we sort of get like that top feature in an email and that seems to drive more than sort of what you get from a Facebook ad, um, in that short period of time. Nice. And then I'd say that the fourth piece that we were looking into quite heavily, um, and we're sort of a little bit reluctant now just based on what we've heard from industry side as was like podcasts, um, but, you know, we've we've heard like a little bit of this mixed review of like podcasts, listen, you know, rates are down because no one's commuting and going to work anymore and listening to as much podcasts. But we are dabbling in it. Um, and we do have a plan to be pretty aggressive when we sort of feel like we've got things back up and running at full steam.
0: Nice. Well, this podcast got you two sales because Dave and I both bought uh, <laughs> yeah. more pairs. And we're, I'm all right, yeah. but I'm already a lifetime user. Just so. give me access to
2: your backend Facebook and Instagram accounts. Let me run some ads through you guys, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. Give me a UTM code and I will definitely, once we release <laughs> okay. this, we'll drive a few more sales. i got Perfect. a big US audience. Yeah. Sweet. That's awesome. Well, cool. Thank you guys so much for coming on today. I, uh, uh, Gary, if you had one of the things we didn't really touch on that I that I think is interesting, is sort of your, the company philosophy. Maybe we can end on this a little bit, because we're you know I, I keep bringing up Vessi. We, we we had this cast with them where they uh, talked a lot about quality consumerism, uh, about sort of like making the world better. Uh, you know, starting with their own local community. They're actually doing a lot with like PPE donations and some other Mm -hmm. interesting things. And I know that Doer has a bit of a philosophical bent when it comes to consumerism and making products that last. If you could maybe end us off with like a little bit of a note around your thinking around that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I've been outspoken for many years on the sustainability and and actually been really sort of uh, felt like I was, a voice, uh, a lone voice in our industry, at least on the fashion side, because everybody was really the, the talking about our organic cotton and the use of pesticides and stuff in this. And they, to me, they were just missing the huge, the biggest issue is consumerism and, and people throwing this stuff into landfills or sending it back to Africa, which kills the local economies. It's just this, this overabundance of buying stuff I was going to use another word, but yeah, buying fine. That, that is poorly made and isn't maybe even really required. Um, and, and that uh, to me, that's the singular issue. Um, so if we can, if we can offer a product that's more versatile that you don't need as much clothing in your closet because you just need a few pairs of really ma- well-made pants that can last you doing all the things you do in a day then i think we're doing the world a service i mean it's not much loftier than that one of our one of our taglines is um to get dressed and get on with it and and the, the implicit in that is sort of my firmly held belief that look it's it's just clothing it's not what's important in life you know like just get some stuff that suits you and then let's talk about meaningful stuff not clothing right it's not it's just a bunch of rags sewn together right so, <laughs> so uh that's 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 pretty much it. I
0: love it. Uh, For me, the reason I love doer it's funny, the way that I've been thinking about it, the reason I love doer is that it enables the things, and also makes me want to do the things I love to do more. So I'm a big avid bike rider, love taking rides on the bike. And if I'm wearing, you know, one of my pairs of jeans that I might sell that doesn't have stretch in it, which I don't know why I haven't burned any jeans that don't have (laughs) stretch in them, honestly, at this point. Uh, but I'm less likely to take a bike ride in a pair of jeans that don't have a stretch in it just because Uh-oh. I know they're going to be uncomfortable. They might chafe or whatever, but, but yeah, that, that feeling of, you know, whether I, I got to hit a yoga class, you know, impromptu or whatever, I, you know, whatever might I might want to do that might be better for me as a person doers there for me to, to, you know, support me in, in those, in those issues as I stretch.
1: Well, you know, that's music to my ears. i I, I will tell you that the, my greatest pride in what we're doing doesn't really come even from top line or bottom line it's what I constantly get texts and emails and and different ways of communicating to me that you know I used to take elevators or escalators and now I run up the stairs like stuff like this or I was in a I was in a, you know I was eating dinner and my my uh my uh kids uh, coach phoned me and said the referee never showed up to to uh, ref the hockey game and I took off my jacket and I put on my skates and I went on and in your jeans. Like, you know, stuff like that is really so, yeah. what, uh, you know, really turns me on. Yeah.
0: And each of those things are angles, right? Each of those mm-hmm. things are perfect angles that can be crystallized in your ads as well. Mm-hmm. These, and those, the angles are really where we find, you know, that really move the needle is, is those personal stories, those sort of things that just unlock people's minds when they, when they think about a product. Jeans cool enough to ski in. No, (laughs) maybe maybe not quite. We do have the
2: waterproof one, so never know.
0: Nice. Okay, cool. Well, thank you guys for coming on the the hot seat today. This was really awesome. Uh, Appreciate it. And I really would love to stay in touch as uh, as you guys continue to dominate uh, the e-commerce space. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Bye.